Well, good morning, Athens First United Methodist Church. It is good to be with you on this fourth Sunday of the season of Easter. It is Confirmation Sunday 2023, and um, it is a day of joy for us here at Athens First. We have been looking forward to this for a long, long time, and we are grateful that all of you could be here this morning as we celebrate and welcome 38 new members into the life of our church all week long, I've been thinking about how this week could get any better. I mean, my goodness gracious, we're at 38 confirmands, an amazing Sunday. How could it possibly get better? And then I watched the NFL draft. <laughs> and I just want you to know, it took everything within me not to wear a really green, really Philadelphia Eagles tie today to celebrate the fact that we drafted the entire Georgia defense. And so I, I won't say more than, well, I'll say one other thing, fly Bulldogs fly. Okay, that's it, that's it, okay. All right, it is uh, week three of our Easter sermon series. It, uh, what we've been talking about are resurrection stories as told to us in the Gospels, stories about how Jesus uh, made these post-resurrection appearances. He was with his disciples. Uh, he met them on the road. He met them in the upper room. And what we've been trying to discover is what do they teach us about living out a resurrection faith? What did they teach us about being Easter people? Uh, this morning, I want us to read uh, a story that comes to us from the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John. Part of this uh, scripture passage that I'm going to read uh, is a story that we, we have heard before. We actually started the whole series with this uh, back in week one. Uh, but then we will skip ahead to uh, another part of the story that features a disciple who is known for being doubtful. I'm going to read that story, and then we're going to pray. And then, uh, if it's all right with you, I'm going to move down here so that I can see our entire confirmation class, and hopefully that's not problematic for anyone. If anyone has anything critical to say, you can text, email, or call Betsy Butler. Let her know <laughs> that he needs to be back in the pulpit, but um, I want to be able to see our confirmants this morning and uh, have a better view. So, with that, let's take a look at how John tells us one of my favorite resurrection stories. I'll be starting in chapter 20 with verse 19 here now. The Word of God. When it was evening on the, that first day of the week, uh, the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. It was then that Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, peace be with you. And after he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side and the disciples rejoiced that they saw the Lord. Jesus then said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they will be forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called Didymus or the twin, one of the twelve, he was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told them, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails in my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, Jesus' disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. 
Stop doubting and believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And so Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other things in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. O gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for this, your word, for it is a word that is truth. It is a word that is eternal. So speak now, Lord, through my words, that they wouldn't be mine, but they would be a, a word from you, a word that is truly transformative. And may that word compel us and propel us into the world where we can live it out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So back in 2013, I had the privilege of being invited to lunch with a great preacher and a leader in the United Methodist Church. His name is the Reverend James Kim. And while we were at lunch that day, Reverend Kim told me a story that I thought was just absolutely great. Because he said back in the 1970s, he went to seminary at Boston University, which was then and is now one of the best theological schools in all of the country. Well, he said that uh, because he was from Korea and because he didn't speak English very well, he couldn't help but feel like he just wasn't fitting in. He felt like everyone around him was doing better than he was. In fact, in time, his grades started to slip and he was on the verge of failing. He said that one of his secret fears was that at some point, one of the administrators was going to just show up one day and pull him aside, and they were going to say to him, James, we're so sorry, but you're just not cutting it, bud. It's time for you to go home. Well, one day, he said, after my Old Testament class, my professor, Dr. Harold Beck, uh, pulled me aside, and he said, uh, James, I'd like to see you in my office after class today. And that's when Reverend Kim thought, well, this is it. <laughs> this is the moment that I've been fearing. I'm finally going to be sent home. I'm finally getting kicked out of school. So he said, I went to his office, and I was just racked with anxiety, just waiting for the inevitable bad news to be shared. Well, he said, I got to his room. I sl you know, slinked down into the chair. Dr. Beck sat across from his desk in his big leather chair, and he said, I remember Dr. Beck looked at me, and he said, so James, tell me, how are you doing? And he said, that's when I just kind of lost it. He said, that was all I needed to hear. I just kind of started to cry, and I was so emotional, and he said, I, I don't know why, but he said, I finally looked at Dr. Beck, and I said, I'm so sorry, Dr. Beck. I don't mean to get emotional on you, but it's just... This has been a really hard semester, and it's been a really hard transition. And I think one of the reasons why is because, well, honestly, I guess I don't expect very much of myself. He said it was at that moment that Dr. Beck got up from his chair. He moved around the desk, and he came in. He put his big hand on 
Reverend Kim's shoulder, and he looked down at him, and he said, well, that's too bad, James, because you know what? I do expect a lot from you, and I want you to know something. You are my favorite student. From that day forward, James Kim said, my confidence soared. He said, not only did my grades go up, but I ended up graduating top three in my class. Well, many years later, he said, I was at a preaching conference in St. Louis, and just before the break, there was an announcement that was made that said, uh, if there's anyone here this morning that graduated from Boston University, we just wanted to share the sad news that Dr. Harold Beck has passed away this morning. James said that there were about 20 BU alumni that were there at the conference together. And so what they decided to do was to go to lunch and to sit around the table and to share some of their favorite Dr. Beck stories. And would you believe that to a person, every person there around that table told a story about how one day Dr. Beck had pulled them aside <laughs> and shared with them the fact that they were his favorite student. All of them had thought they were the only ones. <laughs> but apparently, everyone was Dr. Beck's favorite student. Now, the reason I tell you that story this morning is because if Jesus' 12 disciples were here this morning, I would love to tell you that all 12 of them are my favorites. But that wouldn't be true. Because I actually do have one favorite disciple. His name is Thomas. And if that's wrong, I don't want to be right. The reason why I've always loved the Apostle Thomas is really for two reasons. Number one, it's because the Gospels tell us that his nickname was Didymus, which means the twin. And so as someone who has twins, and I know we've got like three sets of twins being confirmed this morning, I have always had a special place in my heart for those who are twins. But it's also because I believe with all my heart that if there is one person who's gotten a bad rap over the years, if there is one person who has been unfairly remembered throughout all of the annals of Christian history, it would be the Apostle Thomas. Because in spite of all of the many good things that he did over the years, in, many of all, in spite of all the many things that he did to prove that he was faithful, we do not remember him for any of those things. We don't even refer to him as, you know, the disciple Thomas or the apostle Thomas or Thomas the guy who did really good things. No, we only remember him by one really unfortunate nickname that the church has given him. Thomas's nickname is what? Doubting Thomas. And to me, that is so unfair, and that is so unfortunate. The reason why I say that is because ultimately what Thomas wanted was only that which everyone else had already received. Because if you were listening to the story I just read from John 20, uh, Thomas wasn't actually with the other disciples the week before. When Jesus showed up and he made his first post-resurrection appearance, he wasn't there for that. And so what he's saying is, what I want is what everyone else has already received. Because the women, they had seen the resurrected Jesus. The disciples, they had seen the resurrected Jesus. And so what Thomas is saying is, you know, that's kind of what I want. I just want to see the resurrected Jesus before 
I will believe. In other words, what Thomas is saying is, I just want some proof. I just want some evidence to bolster my faith. And honestly, I don't know that I can blame him for that. I don't know that I can say that that's a bad thing because I would imagine that just about every single one of us at some point in our faith journey has said, yeah, that would be kind of nice. It would be nice to have some proof to stand on. For instance, I remember seeing this news article years ago. It was about this woman who had what she claimed to be a very miraculous experience because one morning she came down and she was making breakfast. She put bread into her toaster and when it was done, she said, I looked at the toast and the face of Jesus was staring back at me. There were, the face of Jesus had been burnt into the toast and she said, that's all I needed to see in order to believe. Because all my life, she said, I had always said, God, if you'll just give me some proof, give me some evidence that you exist, then I'll believe in you. And then this happened. She said, I believe that God gave me that toast. Now, whether God was actually involved miraculously in that woman's breakfast, that's really just a matter of opinion. But what I can tell you is this. Uh, she certainly would not be the first person to say that she wants some proof to go along with her faith. She would not be the first person to say, I'd love some evidence to put in my foundation for me to stand on. In fact, how many times throughout the Gospel of John do people come up to Jesus and they say to him, Jesus, show us a sign. Give us a sign. If you'll just do X and fill in the blank, then we'll believe in you. <laughs> but every single time, Jesus refused to do what they asked him to. Every time, Jesus turned them down. And you know why? It's because Jesus knew that, that, that proof or evidence, whatever it is that they were asking him to do, it wasn't just this, this automatic gateway into an unflinching faith. Jesus knew that there's always something else, something more that we need, if all we're basing our faith on is proof. That, that's why there was this author years ago, his name was Han Werfer, and he wrote a book called The Song of Bernadette, and it was this story about a young Catholic girl who had this really miraculous experience, only there were a lot of people who didn't necessarily believe it. So in the preface to his book, Hans Werfer wrote these words. He said, for the one willing to believe, final proof isn't necessary. But for the one unwilling to believe, final proof will never be enough. In other words, what he's saying is, no matter how much proof or evidence we accumulate over a lifetime, it will never be enough. It will never be enough to not need some kind of leap of faith to go with it. In other words, God does not box us into a corner with all of this proof and evidence and say, ha, I gotcha. Look at all this proof. Look at all this evidence. You've got to believe in me now. You have no choice. Uh-uh. That's not how it works. No, God will always give us the option to say no to him. Otherwise, our yes doesn't mean a thing. Thomas simply wanted some proof to go along with his faith. 
And what I love about this story is to watch how Jesus responds to Thomas. Because notice that he doesn't show up and start wagging his finger at him saying, oh, ye of little faith. Notice he doesn't come in and shame him and say, come on, Thomas, really? After all these years, this is how you're going to treat me? No, Jesus simply shows up and he gives Thomas what he needs. He says, listen, listen, touch right here. These are where the nails were. Or touch right here, touch in my side. This is where the spear was. Stop doubting, he says, and believe. But what happens next, I think, is even more important to the story because Jesus says to Thomas, now, you've believed because you've seen. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Now, you, you know who Jesus is talking about, right? He's talking about us. He's talking about you and me. Because correct me if I'm wrong, but um, I don't think any of us were at the resurrection, were we? I don't believe any of us were actually at the empty tomb or in the upper room when Jesus showed up for the very first time. And yet, here we are and we believe. And what Jesus says is you are blessed because of that. The reason why is because what Jesus understood is that when we truly believe, when we put our faith in the risen Christ and then we live that out in the world, do you know what we become? We become the living proof that our world desperately wants to see. We become the evidence that God is real, that Jesus is alive, and that the Holy Spirit is active and on the loose in the world. We become the proof that our world desperately wants to see. And so I guess if there's just one thing that I would want our confirmands to understand this morning is that what you're about to do in about five minutes, by coming up here and standing up and making a profession of faith, what I want you to understand is that what you're doing is not just subscribing to a certain set of beliefs or doctrines or dogmas. No, what you're saying is that the Christian faith is more than that. The Christian faith is a way of life. More to the point, the Christian faith is the Jesus way of life. And what our unbelieving world wants to see is your faith and the way you live out your life. And of course, the way that you do that, I hope you know, does not just have to be in big, grandiose ways. Now, I've found that sometimes the most faithful witness is simply our willingness to be used by God whenever the opportunity arises. For instance, I, I was watching the news not too, too long ago. And uh, there was a story on the CBS Evening News about a man who lives in Monticello, Georgia. His name is Jerome James. And Monday through Friday, uh, Jerome works for the power company. He's a lineman. He's up in his basket working on lines. But on Sunday mornings, he's Pastor Jerome James. He is the part-time local pastor at Springfield Baptist Church. Well, one Tuesday morning, Jerome was up in his basket. He's working on the lines when all of a sudden he looks up and there were these 
balloons that started floating down right towards him. And as they kept coming, he said it was almost like they were sending directly from heaven themselves. I couldn't understand where they were coming from, but finally they got close enough to where he was able to grab them, and he noticed there was like a little card attached. And on the card, there was a note that read, Dear God, please help me to go to college. Please help me to have everything I need to leave for school by this Wednesday. And it was signed by Makia Curry, who unbeknownst to Jerome was a 17-year-old girl who lived in the next town over and who was about to be a freshman at Albany State that coming fall. Now, when the news reporter was interviewing uh, Makia about what she had done, they said, tell us about the balloons. What were you trying to do there? And she said, well, honestly, those balloons, they were kind of like a last-ditch effort of desperation because I was trying to get a really important prayer to God. You see, my, my family, they didn't go to college. I'm the first person to go to college. And, and although I, I have, you know, uh, ways to, to pay for college, I, I have loans that are going to pay for the tuition, I have some scholarships that will help, I have no idea how I'm going to pay for the rest of it. And so honestly, I've been, I've been staying up every night, just restless and awake, wondering how am I going to afford to go to college. Now, I, I didn't go to church growing up, and I don't know much about God. In fact, I don't even know if I believe in God, but I knew that if God exists and God answers prayers, well, this was one way that he could get the message. I figured this might be one way that God would help me. Well, little did she know that those balloons would find their way to Jerome James, who caught the balloons, and then when he realized what was happening, he thought, well, this is unfortunate because these balloons have found their way into the hands of the poorest preacher in all of Georgia. He said, because I was flat broke. I just paid all of this money to pay off my mother's taxes on her house. I literally only had $125 to my name. And so I wasn't sure what I would possibly be able to do but I was convinced that God wanted me to do something. So he looked her up on the internet, and he found her address. And the next day, he went to Makia's house, and he knocked on the door. She was a little surprised by this stranger standing on her doorstep. And he said, are you Makia? She said, yeah. And he said, well, my name's Jerome. And I believe that God had, has a message that he wanted me to give you. The first part of the message is this. Everything's going to be okay. That's what God wants you to know. Everything's going to be okay. But the second thing that God wanted was to give you this. And he went to his truck and he brought out two things. It was a comforter for her bed and a little mini fridge for her dorm. It was everything that Makia was hoping she would have heading into her freshman year. The journalist asked her about the effect that this had on her. In fact, they said, so has this changed your perspective on God? I mean, what, what do you think about faith now that all of this has happened? And she said, oh, it's absolutely changed everything. Because for all of my life, I always wondered, 
is God real? Does God exist? Does God answer prayers? And then Jerome showed up. And because of the generosity of a total stranger, I have my answer. Confirmants, here's what I want you to know. We live in a world that is begging, pleading, and desperate for proof that God is real, that Jesus is alive, and that the Holy Spirit is active and present in our world. It's your job, in fact, it's all of our jobs, to go live our lives in such a way that they can't help but find it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.